we do appreciate the work you're doing here in this county, and God is, God is at work. We're in Genesis 41. Now, this is a rather long narrative here, so I, I, I've struggled with how to preach it. So we're not going to do PowerPoint today for the sake of time. But I do want to read the entire narrative, and then I, wanna, I had a few talking points I want to go through. So bear with us as we go, th- go through this text. Genesis 41 says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. Now, some of your translations will say out of the Nile, and that's proper translation there. Uh, it's actually an Egyptian loan word, and it does mean the Nile. This dream is very Egyptian in nature. Um, cattle in this particular part of the world, they, did not, uh, they don't graze like they do here in the south. They, the, the cattle in Egypt, they like to be submerged in water uh, to avoid the heat and also to avoid all the insects, flies, and, and all those kind of things. So this is a very Egyptian kind of dream that Pharaoh's having. Um, so he's, <clears throat> they come up out of the Nile, seven well-favored kind, fat-fleshed, and they fed in meadow or the marshland, some translations will say. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river. They were ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and they stood by the other kind, Upon the brink of the river. And the ill favored and the lean flesh kind did eat up the seven well favored and fat kind. Uh, it's kind of a disturbing image, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so Pharaoh awoke. Now he's disturbed, but like most pagans, uh, even though God gets their attention for a little while, they, they go back to sleep. And so that's what he does. Uh, he goes back to sleep. He dreams the second time. This time he sees seven ears of corn come upon one stalk. Uh, King James says, rank. Uh, and good. Now, in our vernacular, rank doesn't mean good, right? Rank is a means it's bad, but uh, it means uh, hearty um, and good, plump. <clears throat> and behold, the thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them, and the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. And all the wise men thereof, and the Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then the chief butler said unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants, and put me in ward, and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. There was with us a young man, a Hebrew servant, to the captain of the guard, and we told him, And he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man, according to his dream, he did interpret. And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored into mine office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him out uh, hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. Now, at this point, Pharaoh is going to rehearse the dream. I'm not going to read that um, for sake of time. He's going to tell his dream to Joseph. He's going to add a few details that were not in the first narrative. It doesn't mean there's a contradiction. It just means that there's uh, other other details to uh, to expand upon. Now, after he relates the dream, um, we get to verse 24. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears. And I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it to me. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is 
1. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good years are seven years. The dream is one. The seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following. For it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And the food... And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, so a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Um, some of your translations will say a divine spirit. Uh, some will say the Spirit of the gods. We'll talk more about that shortly. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, As much as you have shown all this, God has shown you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. You shall be over my house according unto thy word. Shall all my people be ruled? Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Boy, what a difference a day makes. Amen. <laughs> and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain upon his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath Paneah. And Joseph said, Thank you very much. Right? And he gave him to wife Asenath, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. And Joseph went out all over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went out throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt. And laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. But Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means forgetting. For God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, which means fruitful or blessed. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Imagine that. They're looking to the government to save them. I'll just move on from that. Okay. 
And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith unto you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses, and he sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt, and all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. This is the word of the Lord. I want to speak to you this morning from the pit to the palace. I'm going to ask Preacher Larry if he'll pray for us. Amen. I've got several talking points from this narrative. And for those of you who love alliteration, they're all going to start with the letter P. Okay. First thing I want to talk about is the providence of God in Joseph's life. And we'll look at the first eight verses. Now, it begins with uh, after two full years. Now, is that two years after his imprisonment or two years after the butler forgot him? Not sure for, for, uh, for certain. But we know he spent 13 years in Egypt as a slave and as a prisoner. And I'm sure those two years felt like an eternity for Joseph. He's going through the monotonous duties day, day after day after day, uh, same old thing. Uh, and he's had every opportunity to be bitter. But I want you to think about all the things that had to line up in order to get Joseph right where he is in this moment. And it's no accident. His brothers, you know, he has to leave Hebron looking for his brothers. They go on from Shechem to Dothan. He moves to Dothan, and then the, the Midianites just happen to come by. The Midianites just happen to take him down. They're on the, uh, the, the way down to Egypt, the highway. They just happen to go down there. Joseph just happens to be sold into Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard, the chief of the executioners. Uh, he just happens to be uh, in the prison there. Uh, he's falsely accused. Um, he has to be put in this prison to meet two notable prisoners, a chief baker and a chief butler. So Potiphar's wife has to unsuccessfully seduce him. And he ends up in this prison, this dungeon, as it were, with the chief baker and the chief butler. And they just happen to have two dreams, just like Joseph had two dreams. Joseph interprets them, and, uh, and, and he's, he's seemingly forgotten. But think about everything that had to take place in order to get Joseph in this, this place at this one moment in this right time. God knows how to move all the chess pieces on the board. We know from Romans 8, 28. Jo Joseph didn't have Romans 8, 28, but we do. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And God's just moving all these things. And we're just oblivious to it for the most part. You know, we're, we're doing our everyday routine. But, but God, that's a promise from God. If you're a child of God, if you love the Lord... God is always working things out for your good. Now, it doesn't mean that all things are pleasant, right? I mean, those 13 years as a prisoner, as a slave, they were not pleasant. And, and there was a time when Joseph was bound with fetters, we learn from the Psalms. But nevertheless, Joseph continues uh, to, to maintain his faith in God, to faithfully serve others, and to show compassion. So we see the providence of God. Now, the interesting thing at the end of uh, verse 8 <clears throat> It says that they summoned all uh, that Pharaoh summoned all the magicians. Now these guys were skilled in dream interpretation. They were vast libraries about how to interpret dreams. Now, as far as dreams go, this dream is fairly. These dreams are fairly straightforward. Um, I think I might could even take a stab at interpreting those. You've got the Nile River and the seven good, you know, the seven good cattle and the seven about seven bad cattle. 
they're nowhere near as complicated as what Nebuchadnezzar's dreams were. You know, he's seeing all these beasts, or excuse me, Daniel sees the beast. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar sees the image of gold, statue of gold and silver and bronze and such. So, um, so in my mind, um, the, the Egyptians should have had no difficulty interpreting this dream. I mean, after all, that's their business, right? I mean, they're professional dream interpreters. But, but for some reason, they're dumbfounded. And I think it illustrates a truth to us that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. No matter how simple and elementary they are, they're foolish just to those on the outside. Uh, the gospel seems so simple to those of us who have believed, right? I mean, you couldn't get any easier. Uh, when I, my first church I was in, Brother Wayne Linker, he's gone on to be with the Lord. And I, and I thought, man, this ain't complicated at all, is it? He said, Brother Henry, he said, getting saved is as easy as falling off of a log. All you got to do is believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again and repent of your sin. That's easy. But for some reason, that's hard for the natural man to process. He can't. And no matter how hard you try to explain to him, it's just like, you know, you can't get on the same frequency. So, so there's a little bit of comedy here, I believe. Here you've got Pharaoh, who's supposed to be a god. And you've got all these magicians and astrologers, but they're just dumbfounded by this simple dream about Egyptian images, you know, the Nile River and the cattle, and do, they're doing things that cows would normally do. But they're dumbfounded. And there's a little bit of irony here, a little bit of humor, I believe, that God is just showing, hey, I'm the one who's in charge here. Then in verse 9 through 13, we have the penitence of the chief butler. And he finally, uh, he's sorry for his sins. Now, you might understand why he would be reluctant to talk about it, you know. And it almost, the way he relates it to Pharaoh, it almost sounds like it's a different Pharaoh. We're not told that it is. But you would think Pharaoh would remember throwing him in prison and all that. But, uh, but anyway, he speaks about it as if it's, you know, he's telling him for the first time. But he rehearses his faults. Um, now, to the magician's credit, they did admit that they couldn't interpret the dream. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's advisors, they were him hauling around trying to stall for time. But these guys at least said, hey, we, we can't do it. So I, I can commend them for that. The chief butler can be commended now. Uh, he forgot Joseph for two years, but now he's, he's understood his faults. <clears throat> now, in verse 14, we have the preparation to meet the king. Notice it says that Joseph was brought out hastily out of the dungeon, and he, and he did two things. He shaved himself, and he changed his clothes. Uh, the Egyptians were clean-shaven. They, they didn't like beards. Now, the Hebrews, they grew their beards out like, uh, you know, as, as long as they, they wanted to. But, but it was an abomination to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were sticklers about cleanliness and such. And so Joseph, before he meets the king, he makes preparations to meet the king. And I want to say this to you. Now, we, we sing this song a lot, and I believe it, just as I am in our invitation. We come to God just as we are, but we have to also remember that we come to God on his terms. We come to him not offering our good works to him, we come to him just as we are, saying, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner in need of salvation. So uh, Joseph makes preparation to meet the king. In verse 15 and 16, we have praise to God. And I love this. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. There's none that can interpret it, but I've heard that you can. You've got skill, Joseph. You can interpret the dream. You, you've got the power to do it. And, and a lesser man, who, by the way, is still looking to secure his freedom, he's not free at this point, might have said, absolutely, I'll be glad to interpret your dream. 
I'm pretty good at this. But what did Joseph say? He said, it is not in me. That's one word in Hebrew. I won't try to pronounce it. But he says, not me, he said, but God. Now think about all that this man has been through. If, any, if anybody had an opportunity to be bitter against God because of all the suffering, the injustice, the waiting. The waiting is the hard part, isn't it, folks? Most of our life is spent in the waiting. Uh, I'm reminded of the scripture in Hebrews that, that we're followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The waiting is hard. If anybody had a chance to be bitter, it's Joseph. But what we see here is a man that has spirit has been forged in the furnace of affliction, and he is ready, he is now ready for promotion, and he says, it's not me, it's from God. Now, he's talking to a Pharaoh who's a pagan and who also is, is held up himself as a God. So this took a lot of courage for Joseph to do that. So that's praise to God. And he says, he shall give Pharaoh, the end of verse 16, an answer of peace. Now, some of your translations will say a favorable uh, answer. But the word here is shalom. He's going to give Pharaoh shalom. <laughs> and the idea is not that the, the, the dream interpretation is going to be so glorious and so wonderful. But remember, Pharaoh's troubled. This dream has stirred his spirit. And he says, if you'll just listen to God, God will give you peace. And I want to tell you what, if you'll listen to God, if you'll submit to him, he'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. He's going to give shalom to, uh, to Pharaoh. Now, in verses 17 through 24, we see the powerless magicians uh, could not interpret the dreams. And we won't rehash those. In verses 25 through 32, the prophetic dream of Pharaoh is explained. And I want you to pay attention to a few things. In verse 25, Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. And I love this. God, now it's interesting here, Joseph doesn't use the covenant name for God, Jehovah. We've seen that in previous chapters. But now he's referring to God by his name Elohim, which is really the only way the Egyptians can relate to him. He's, uh, he's the creator of the universe. He's a powerful, sovereign, mighty God. But they don't know him as Jehovah, as the Hebrews do. So he says, uh, he says God has shown Pharaoh, notice the words, what he is about to do. This famine and these seven years of plenty, they're not random, they're not happenstance, they're not a result of, of the, the favor or the disfavor of the gods, the pantheon of gods, but he's saying Jehovah, the God Elohim, the one who created the universe, the one who said, let, it be, let there be light, and there was. He is going to show you what he is about to do. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to orchestrate things in such a way that we can look back and say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, if it had not been for God. And he says what he's about to do. Now notice again um, in verse um, 30. I wrote my notes wrong. Imagine that. Verse 32. I wrote 22. This should be 32. In verse 32, it says, And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, Joseph had two dreams, remember? Then when he was in the prison, there was two dreams, the butler and the, the chief baker. Now Pharaoh has two dreams. And he says, there's two things you need to know understand about this Pharaoh. Number one is this thing is established by God. 
There's a principle of two witnesses in the scripture. And so when God is speaking to you and me, he will, he will give us uh, multiple witnesses to show us that we're hearing from the Lord. And, and, I, and I always look for that. Whenever I'm in doubt, whenever I'm asking God to help me, guide me, direct me, don't, I say, Lord, don't just speak to me one time. Give me numerous witnesses here to let me know I'm doing the right thing. And I'm not talking about putting a fleece out before God and asking for signs and wonders, but, but God will confirm things through his word. He will. So pay attention if you're riding around in your car you're listening to uh, your Christian radio station or whatever, and you start hearing the same verse over and over again, be attentive because more than likely God's trying to tell you something through that. God speaks. He doesn't just speak to Pharaoh. He's going to speak to his, his children too. And uh, verse 28, he says, God is about uh, to, to do he shows unto Pharaoh, and he explains the dreams. And he says, also it will shortly come to pass. This is a short-term prophecy. You know, it's easy to give a long-term prophecy, isn't it? It would be easy for me to predict what's going to happen in the next 200 years because I won't be here if it doesn't turn out, right? But it takes a real courageous prophet to say this is a short-term prophecy. So, so this is the prophetic dream of uh, Pharaoh explained. Now, in verses 33 through 37, we have the plan of Joseph. Now, I like this. God doesn't just speak to us and give us dreams so that we can sit around and say, wow, that was great. God gave me a dream. Wow, this is great. God's speaking to me. But he gave Joseph a dream, excuse me, he gave Pharaoh a dream because there was a course of action that had to take place. Now, I've been teaching about this in the book of James. We're not simply to be hearers of the word, but we're to be what? Doers of the word. Otherwise, we're deceiving ourselves. And so Joseph now is going to put this principle into play that Pharaoh and, and the court are not just to be hearers of the word, but they're to be doers of the word. And he gives them um, a plan. So in verses 33 through 37, we see the plan of Joseph. And, um, <clears throat> and so he says, uh, let, a man, let Pharaoh seek out a man discreet and wise, verse 33, set him over the land of Egypt. Now, by the way, Joseph is not auditioning for the job. He's not saying, I will be perfect for this job. He's just giving Pharaoh advice. He's, he's totally unassuming in this point. And don't miss that. Because some people think that Joseph is trying to be manipulative here. But listen, Joseph is a prisoner. I mean, he has no clue if he'll even be released or not. I think he's being totally unassuming here. And he's telling Pharaoh, this is what you need to do. And he says, uh, let him appoint officers over the land. Take up a fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. So in other words, the government's going to take 20%. And I'm sure we're all excited about that prospect, aren't we? Uh, anyway, no wonder Pharaoh liked that. That sounded pretty good to Pharaoh, didn't it? <laughs> A 20% tax. But anyway, by the way, this is how Pharaoh ends up owning all of Egypt, by the way. This is how he ends up owning it. But that's for another time. So, um, and let him gather all the food of these good years and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. The food shall be store. For the land against the seven years of famine. See, the Egyptians were wasters. You know how we know this? Um, because when we get to the end of this chapter, we find out that Joseph had saved 20%, and they had already wasted the 80% within the first year of the famine, maybe the first two years. So Joseph is wise. And I want to tell you what, guys, we would be wise to learn from this example, to be savers, not uh, to plan for the future. Um, you live as if Jesus is going to come back today, but you plan as if he's going to come 100 years from now. You have to take care of things. So anyway, 
Um, verse 37, the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. Well, I guess so. You know, he's, he, he sees a great opportunity here. And in the eyes of all of his servants. <clears throat> uh, turn with me to Jeremiah 18. I won't belabor the point here, but Jeremiah 18. Now, I want to show you this principle to what we do with the prophetic word. Okay. Now, most of us would sit back and say, wow, this is great. What a fantastic dream. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. God has spoken to us. You know, this is amazing. We should write a book about it. I mean, we should go, we should go on tour and talk about how God has spoken to us and given us this prophetic insight. And everybody will see how wonderful and how spiritual we are. But Joseph does not sit on his laurels. Rather, he rolls up his sleeves and says, we need to make a plan because God is showing us these things for a purpose. And God shows you and I things, not just so we can look and see how spiritual we are, but because he has things he wants us to do. Now, in Jeremiah 18, we find ourselves in the potter's house. You've, you've probably heard, there's been songs written about it. Uh, Paul talked about the potter having power over the clay. <clears throat> and... Um, uh, Adam, if you would, re read uh, Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 10. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I'll cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. At the vessel that he made of the clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again and into another vessel, and it seemed good to the potter to make. Then a word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, look as the clay in the potter's hand. So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck, it, to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I have bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so, then, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I have said I would benefit it. So see, the prophetic word demands a response. Imagine if Joseph had heard all that dream and interpreted all of it, and then for those seven years of plenty, they didn't do anything. What would have happened? People would have starved to death. So it's important that we understand that the prophetic word demands a response. And, and, and that works in a positive and a negative. The positive is, you know, if God has determined that he's going to judge a nation, if that nation will turn and repent, God will forgive them. Can you think of any example in the Bible where a nation was going to be destroyed, but they repented and they were spared? Nineveh, very good, through the preaching of Jonah. And the interesting thing about Jonah is he didn't give them an offer. He didn't say, if you turn, God will spare you. He just said, God's going to destroy the city. And they took the initiative. Uh, they, they, they bet on God's mercy, and, and they, they were winners. You can bet on God's mercy, and you're going to win every time, you know, because God's merciful and gracious. All right. 
Don't be betting. You know, I'm not advocating gambling. Genesis 41. Let's go back. Let's talk about the promotion of Joseph now. We'll go through this quickly. Uh, Pharaoh promotes him. He says, is there anybody like him? Um, he said, there's none as discreet and as wise as you are. Verse 40, he said, you shall be over my house according to thy word. Shall my people be ruled? Only in the throne will I be greater. Do you, do you notice a pattern with Joseph? When he's at home at Hebron, he's the leader of the family, even when he's 17 years old. Uh, when he comes to Potiphar's house, he's the leader in Potiphar's house, only second to Potiphar. Then he's placed into the prison, and what happens? He's in charge of the prison. Nobody's greater except the keeper of the prison. Now he's raised to a place of power, and Pharaoh is the only one who's greater than him, you see. But all of that started back when Joseph was a young man, and it was forged in those 13 years where God was building his character, you see. A lot of people can handle failure, but very few people can handle success. And God was showing him how to handle success, how to handle success. Now, um... Uh, he said, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And he says he took off his signet ring. Uh, this was basically, he was giving Joseph the, the platinum uh, debit card of all of Egypt here. Uh, he, he, can, he can act on Pharaoh's behalf. He's got this signet ring. Uh, he's got fine linen. Notice Joseph's clothes. There's always this uh, motif about his clothes, his coat of many colors, the garment that Potiphar's wife uh, used against him. But now he's, he's arrayed in royal robes. Be mindful also of the types of Jesus Christ as we go through this. Um, and he made him to ride in the second chariot when he had uh, cried before him. And notice when they cry, bow the knee. <laughs> and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. What a difference a day makes. I mean, I'm sure when that day started... And he's going through all his duties in the prison. He had no idea what was about to happen to him. And so it is with us. God's blessing can come in an instant, in a moment. I love those and suddenly moments in the Bible. Things you've been praying about for years and years and years, and, and the devil told you it'll never change. And then one day you wake up, and, and lo and behold, God's faithful to his promises. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in, they, in him are amen. Well, I feel that deep down in my knower, as they say. Uh, God is faithful, and what a day, <laughs> what a reversal of roles uh, for him. He made him to ride in the second chariot and bow the knee. You know, one day the Bible says that Jesus Christ, every knee's going to bow to him, and every tongue's going to confess. Joseph is a type of Christ here in this also. Um, he says, without me shall no man lift up his hand. And he gives him a new name in verse 45, uh, Zaphnath. Panea, I probably just butchered that, so just bear with me. Now, why would he give him a new name? Well, here comes this guy out of the prison. He's a Hebrew, and nobody knows who he was. Uh, Pharaoh's trying to help him out. He's trying to Egyptianize him so that the people will not bucket his authority. Because we don't like it when somebody new shows up and gets promoted, do we? We're like, he didn't pay his dues. Little did they know he was paying his dues. But, but he, he, he helps him out, and he gives him a, an Egyptian name. Now, he did something else, and students of Bible prophecy uh, would do well to take heed of this. He gives him a Gentile bride. Joseph is rejected by his brothers. Does any of this start to sound familiar? He came into his own, and his own received him not. But then to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. He comes... 
He comes exclusively in his first coming to minister Jesus Christ to the house of Israel. They reject him. By and large, there was a remnant, but by and large, they reject him. And, and then what happens? The Gentiles begin to embrace him in waves. Okay. So Joseph now has a Gentile bride after his brothers have uh, rejected him. Now, he will be reunited with his brothers, and, uh, and I look forward to telling you that story. <clears throat> Joseph, notice it says Joseph went over all the land of Egypt. I love this. Now, he has just been promoted to prime minister of Egypt, but he does not camp out in Pharaoh's palace. He went to work. Wouldn't it be great if our politicians on day one when they get elected, if they would roll up their sleeves and go to work for the people? Amen. Wouldn't that be great? And I'm talking about every, every stinking one of them, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever. If they would be true servants of the people, wouldn't that be awesome? Um, that's a pipe dream, though, isn't it? <laughs> we can dream, can't we? We're talking about dreams. We can dream. All right, so Joseph, verse 46, was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. Does that sound familiar? Jesus Christ had been in obscurity since he was a child, and then all of a sudden, about 30 years of old, he comes on the scene. He begins his public ministry. So again, a type of, of uh, Joseph. And he goes throughout all the land of Egypt. <clears throat> Let's look at the performance of Joseph now. And he, 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 uh, he gathers up, he, he carries out this plan that he had proposed to Pharaoh. He's, he's taking uh, a fifth of all the corn uh, or the bread or whatever and the grain, and he's storing it in these storehouses in secure, uh, and he's doing it in each city. Um, now, something else happens, and I want to talk about the posterity of Joseph, and that's in verses 50 through 52, and I love this. It says, unto Joseph were born two sons. Now, we're told that they were born before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bare unto him. I believe that the, in typology, and you don't, you don't have to believe this. This is just, this is my thought on typology here. I think the seven years of famine are, are typical of the seven years of tribulation period. And we are told here that these two children were born by Asenath prior to the years of famine, and, and here's a little interesting thing. We won't build a whole doctrine on it, okay? But Asenath, who is the bride of Joseph, she vanishes from the narrative. And you hear about her no more once the, uh, the famine comes on. And I think that, again, this is in types and shadows, showing the rapture taking place before the tribulation period. Wouldn't build a whole, wouldn't start a new church over it. Just, just a little food for thought there. Okay, so he, he bears two, let's talk about the posterity, two children, one is named Manasseh, and the other is named Ephraim. And, and here's my takeaway from this. I love, I love, number one, it shows us that, that even though he's married to this Egyptian woman, he's still faithful to the God of the Hebrews because he's going to give them two Hebrew names. Okay. So I think that he's probably spoken to his wife, and she has probably embraced the God uh, of, of Joseph. She's a worshiper of Jehovah, just like Ruth and Boaz, you know. She, even though Ruth was a Moabitess, she said to Naomi, your God's going to be my God. I think the same thing has happened here. And they name him Hebrew names. And I love this because it shows me that even after everything Joseph has gone through in his life, he has made a decision not to be bitter, but to be better. He says, God has caused me to forget everything. And, and, and trust me, there was a lot to forget. There was a lot of heartache. There was a lot of hurt. 
There was a lot of disappointment. Life is filled with disappointment, my friend. And you have the choice. You have the choice to decide whether you're going to get bitter or you're going to get better. You can't do both. But we see in the naming of these children, he names Manasseh, which means forgetting. He said, I have chosen to forget all of my troubles. And also he names the other one Ephraim, which means fruitful. I am fruitful here. I want to tell you what, no matter where God carries you in your travels, life is anything but a straight path, right? I mean, it's a winding road. And sometimes we think, God, why am I here in this place? Why now? Why me? And all this stuff. But no matter where you are, I want to tell you, God can bless you where you are. The Lord blessed Joseph in, uh, in Israel, in Hebron. He gave him the coat of many colors. He gave him the dreams. God blessed Joseph in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with him and blessed everything that he touched. The Lord was with him in prison. He was promoted him, blessed everything that he touched. And now he's made the prime minister of Egypt. And guess what? God's with him there too. A mighty ruler, bow the knee to Joseph. God is with him in the land of, uh, of, of Egypt, in a strange land. Last part here, we see the prophecies fulfilled. Now here's the mark of a true prophet. It says in verse 53, and the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. So the first part of the dream, the seven years of famine, excuse me, the seven years of plenty, the seven good ears, the seven fat-fleshed cattle, that came to pass just like Joseph promised it would. That is the mark of a true prophet is what he says comes to pass. He's a true prophet. And I'm going to tell you what, if you preach this word, you're standing on good ground. If you preach this word of God, you're a true prophet. Because heaven and earth is going to pass away, but this word will never pass away. And I don't care what it looks like in the world. It looks like things are in chaos. It looks like things are going uh, to heck in a handbasket. But God is in control of this world. He's still on the throne. He's not moved by circumstances. He's not moved by your trouble. He's with you in the midst of your, your trouble and your disappointment. He's with you just like he was with Joseph. And guess what now? The seven years of famine are coming just like Joseph had predicted. And it says, dearth was in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. Now, it says it was in all the lands. Just a little quick detail here. The Egyptians did not depend on rain for their livelihood. The Egyptians depended on the flooding of the Nile. And they had administrators that would go and, and measure and take note of the, uh, 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 the, uh, the trends with the Nile. They depended on the, the flooding of the Nile to, uh, to, to make the fertile land. Now, Israel had rainy season, the land of Canaan. And even to this day, they have rainy uh, season in the winter. That's why Jesus said uh, in Matthew 24, pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath day because the wadis flood and the, uh, it's, it's a rainy season. But nevertheless, there was famine in all the land of Egypt. But, excuse me, but in the land of Egypt, there was bread. Why was there bread in the land of Egypt? Because God had a plan and Joseph carried it out. You know, Listen, it's not enough just to hear the word. You've got to do the word. And Joseph's obedience was crucial to having bread uh, in the land of Egypt. Now, in all the land of Egypt was famished. The people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And I made a joke about that earlier, but that's, you know, that's what happens. And that's what will happen during the tribulation period too, by the way, is they're going to look to this one world government. And, and guess what? He's gonna, uh, he's, this, this Pharaoh was benevolent. He sold corn to the people. But the next Pharaoh, uh, the, the, the Antichrist, He's going to make everybody take a mark and say, you can't buy or sell unless you take this. Okay, so, so again, this is rich in typology here. Um, the land was famished. Uh, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. 
And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph. Interesting phrase here. Whatever he says to you, do it. Does that sound familiar to you? At the marriage, the wedding of Cana of Galilee. Remember, they ran out of wine. And what did Mary say? She said, whatever he says to you, do it. Again, just echoes all throughout the, the Word of God. Um, all throughout the Word of God. <clears throat> and notice it says in the end of verse 58 that, that they sold unto the Egyptians. Notice they didn't hand it out. You see that? You see, the reason our country is going down the tubes is because we're all about the handout now instead of the hand up. And we're, we're going to have a real crisis with a workforce shortage. We're, we're kind of there now. We have got to somehow instill in our children and in our grandchildren that there is profit in manual labor and in any kind of labor, that, that there is profit in that, and that you cannot continue just to live off the government over and over without it destroying the economy. We've seen socialism as a failed experiment. It is. And notice what Pharaoh's doing. He's selling the food unto the people. And we'll talk more about that as weeks go on. The famine was over the face of the whole earth. Joseph opened the storehouses and he sold. The famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. All the countries came to Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because the famine was sore in all the lands. And that sets us up for next week Guess what? His brothers, his brothers are on the way. Remember Joseph had a dream that his brothers would come and bow down to him? And it seemed so far-fetched and they hated him for it. But God is setting us up for that. I'm going to close with this, but I want to just remind you that not only is Joseph an example of how we ought to live and, and how we ought to conduct ourselves, but Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he, Jesus Christ suffered uh, immeasurably, beyond anything anybody could ever imagine. But now God has promoted him. On that third day, you know, we don't talk a whole lot about the second day uh, after uh, the cross. That was the day of silence. That was the day when it seemed like nothing was happening, right? The apostles, they're all huddled over in their homes with the doors locked, uh, feeling like it was all over. But early that third day, that third resurrection morning, the prison doors flung wide open. <laughs> and death could not hold our king. <laughs> and he came out of that grave, and he went not to the right hand of Pharaoh, but to the right hand of God. Amen. Restored to his former glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Arrayed with the finest of heaven, now clothed with a garment down to the feet, eyes as a flame of fire, feet like burnished brass, a voice like many waters. And soon and very soon, he'll not just have a signet ring, he'll have many crowns upon his head. And upon his vesture and his thigh, there will be a name. And it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee, every knee is going to bow to him. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the question is not will you bow, but when will you bow? When will you bow? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ loved you so much that he willingly came to this earth, suffered beyond compare, tempted in every way just like we are. That way he can relate to us perfectly. 
and we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Amen. He suffered. He was tempted in all points like as we are. He was crucified upon Calvary's cross, <laughs> laid in that tomb, but on that third day he rose again, alive forevermore. He ascended back to the right hand of the Father, where he now awaits the word of the Father to say, it's time, son. It's time. Go get my children. And I believe we're sooner now than we ever have been. It's closer now than it's ever been. And the question is, will you receive him as your Lord and Savior? Or will you be among those multitudes that are left behind to go through the tribulation period or the horrors of hell? Would you stand? You may be here today, you're frustrated in your life. You think, man, nothing has gone according to what I had, my plans were. I want to tell you, God's plans are bigger than your plans. Amen. And I believe that we can come to him with our frustration and say, God, I don't understand what's going on. I lack wisdom. Give me wisdom to know what you're doing and give me a heart to just submit to your, your will and your way. And I believe if you'll do that, God will direct you. So I'm going to invite you to come now.